0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I want to welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, I see quite a few guests. My name is Pastor Rob, and it is an honor and a privilege to have you here with us uh, this morning. Uh, As Church of the Harvest, guys, we are... a we're just a family. Uh, we're, we're a family uh, of, of Christ followers. We've, we've realized that, that we are stronger together than we are separately. We have linked arms and chosen to walk out this Christian life um, together because we are so much stronger. We can accomplish so much, strong, so much more together than we can um, individually. And so, you know, with that said, we are a small expression of the body of Christ And we just love God, and we love people. And because of that, we choose to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to serve the world with his love. And so those of you who are part of the Harvest family, y'all know I do this every week. Y'all say it with me. What is the vision of Harvest? It is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. How many of you want that in your life? How do we accomplish it? We accomplish it through community, discipleship, and outreach. So over the last few months, um, we have been discussing identity. Guys, for the Christ follower, identity is everything. It's everything. We've discussed our identity. We've discussed the responsibility of Christ followers and the family of God. And when I talk about Christ followers, I'm talking about those who have repented and turned from their sin and made Jesus Lord of their life. And as I said last week, this is vitally important, especially right now because I believe that many, many Christ followers today truly have no idea who they are. They don't understand what happened in that moment when they bowed their life to Jesus. When they became that new creation, they don't understand who they became. Guys, if we as the church, if we knew who we were, it would shake the foundations of the earth. The world would be a different place. And so we got so many Christians today who they don't know how to respond in situations. They don't know what God expects of them. They don't know, they don't know how to love their neighbor as themselves, They're this neighbor who has beliefs that are so contrary to theirs. They're like, what do I do? They don't know how and when to take a stand. And guys, how many of you would agree that things are changing rapidly in our world? But God's word never changes. And it has the answer for every issue that we will ever face in this life. People think we're so far removed. They look at the Bible and go, oh, that was 2,000 years ago in the New Testament. It's just as relevant today as it was back then. Every situation you're facing in life, the answer is right there in God's word. So if we're going to fulfill our God-given purpose in life, then there's some things we've got to understand, right? So, again, we're spending this year simply discussing the practicalities of what it means to be a Christ follower in the earth today. Because, again, we've been given all the answers. And so we're going to continue on through the New Testament and see the instructions that God gives his followers. And last week... We got started with what? Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We started the Sermon on the Mount. So just as a real quick recap, you know, we, as you guys know, we went through the Bible last year. We got to the New Testament, right? Praise the Lord. God had been trying to get Jesus into the earth through the children of Israel, right? We come to Matthew, and here we are. Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Jesus is born. They flee to Egypt. They get back to Israel. They settle in Nazareth. By chapter 3, uh, Jesus is grown He's baptized by John, right? And he's um, and, and baptized the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 4, he's tempted in the wilderness. He puts the devil under his feet. And he continues on. And like I said, he, actually chapter 4, where he moves to Capernaum. He begins to heal the sick, cast out demons, and begins to declare the kingdom of God is here. So in chapter five is where we started last week. That's where we see the Sermon on the Mount. This is where in chapter five we believe that he kind of got away from the crowds. He gets the disciples together. They go up on this mountainside, they gather around him, and he begins to speak. And he gives the longest message that we have of Jesus. And his teaching, as I said, was very practical. It was just as relevant today, it's just as relevant today as it was to them back then. But He starts this message by giving what we call the Beatitudes, right? And so, real quick, last week we mentioned four of them. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. Basically saying that you are blessed when you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. You owe a debt that you can't pay in a million lifetimes. And so what do you do? You repent. You surrender your life to him. And at that point... You're part of a new family. You have a new inheritance. The kingdom of heaven is yours. With all its promises, with all its blessings, with all its prosperity, it's all yours. Secondly, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Holy Spirit. How many of you are thankful the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us? From the moment we repent. I mean, guys, when we come to that place of repentance, it's tough because we recognize that it's our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. And we repent, and the Holy Spirit is there. And he's there to comfort us and to take any condemnation and any shame and any guilt that we were carrying, he takes it, right? And he's our comforter. And, and with that, we know that whatever it is we mourn in this life, that we can walk in happiness and in joy and in hope because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The third statement Jesus makes, he said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What i tell you last week, meek does not mean what? Meek does not mean weak. Meek means strength under control, and for the Christ follower, I would suggest to you it means strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. this is this is one of the fruit of the spirit, and so meekness also means we talked about this last week it, it can mean it means teachable and, and and we see in that that it's by our humility and meekness that we receive the Word of God, but it says that when we do this we Shall inherit the earth. We receive the blessing and the prosperity of the earth. And the last thing we talked about last week was blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Anybody in here hungry right now? We know how to fill our bellies, don't we? We know what it's like to hunger and thirst in the natural. But the reality is that many, if not most, Christ followers today are living in a place of spiritual famine and starvation. Their spirit is not getting what it needs for nourishment. They know that something is off. They're not experiencing God's blessing and God's prosperity in their life, God's promises. They're uneasy, but the answer is simple. As I said last week, Peter tells us to begin feeding on the milk of the Word of God, like a baby begins to feed on milk, right? We are to begin to feed on the milk of the Word, and we've got to be consistent. Allow it to develop in us a hunger and a thirst for more. And guys, then things will begin to change in your life. You cannot stay the same when you're feeding on the Word of God. You'll go from a place of spiritual famine to a place of spiritual satisfaction. We talked about happiness and jubilation and overflow because you have finally, your spirit is receiving the nourishment that it really needs. And so as I said last week, you guys may remember this. I mentioned how in chapters and I'm sorry, verses three through six in those first four Beatitudes, it's talking about taking in the Word of God. We were talking about how it, it talks about being a hearer of the Word of God, right? We, we're, we're filling ourselves up. We're daily, hopefully, filling ourselves. We're feasting on the Word of God to the point of overflow. And as we do that, we will desire more and more. And so we're growing, we will begin to grow beyond the milk of the word. And get into the deeper things of God. And then we'll begin to understand our purpose in life. And we'll find that our life begins to to shape up into a way that our life is honoring God. By our words and our actions and our reactions and our attitudes. We're overflowing. And God's presence, because we're at a place of overflow, God's presence is, for lack of a better word, it's splashing out and influencing those around us. Guys, that's really what it means to be a witness. You're living from a place of overflow. And, and that's why I've said that, that really, you know, we should be a witness without having to go witnessing. We should be living out of the overflow and the love of Jesus should ooze forth. Even if we, and it's in a moment when our mouth is shut, our lives should scream of the goodness of the Lord. It should get the attention of those around us. So this was the first four Beatitudes, and it's about receiving, absorbing, being hearer of the Word of God and filling ourselves up with it. And then we get to the next one, and Jesus begins to shift gears just a little bit. And instead of it being about taking in the Word, it becomes about giving out the Word. So we're not talking about being a hearer of the Word, we're talking about being a what? A doer of the Word of God. And why is it That we can give out the Word of God? Because we've taken in the Word of God. Right? Does this make sense? Because we're filled, we can give out. So if you want to truly be a witness, if you want to be used by God every day, you need to be getting filled up every day. Does this make sense? You see what I'm saying? Uh, A quick example of that. Back when when I was a student at Christ for the Nations, um, I worked for a little while for the 700 Club. And I was one of those phone counselors on the other end of that phone number that you see on your screen at 19 years old. Lord, help us all. And and so it was was really something because you'd go in for the six-hour shift and you would answer phone calls from all over the world. We we were one of three, I think, three call centers where these calls would be filtered in. So for six hours, you'd be sitting there and you'd be listening to people's issues and praying with them. And let me tell you, and, and there were some crazy ones, guys. I mean, I, I, I remember having somebody call and say, I, tell me why I should not take my life right now. I'm <laughs> waving for somebody, come help me, get on the phone, help me. You know, I mean, crazy stuff. How many of you know at the end of a six-hour shift, <laughs> you're about as good as dead <laughs> Because you have given out everything you possibly got. But here's what they did. They recognized this. And so the call centers broke this up, the time. But once an hour, for 10 minutes, they would cut off the phones for each call center. Or for one specific call center. And somebody would get up and for two or three minutes would share an encouraging message from the Word. And then somebody would bust out a guitar. And we would all lift our hands we'd begin to worship the Lord together. Why? Because you gotta be filled up to give out. So, once an hour, because we were given, 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 they were going, okay, let's stop. Hang on. We need to get filled up again. Let's stop. Let's refocus. So, moving on. So, we get to verse seven, and this would be the fifth beatitude, right? Things have changed. He shifted gears a little bit, and, and, and so these are the points for today. Number one, the next thing Jesus says to the disciples, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, it mentions mercy here twice. So we need to know what mercy means, right? So I, I looked up the word mercy, and it means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. That make sense? Let me read one more time. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's from the Oxford Dictionary. Now, biblically, many people say that, and and I agree with this, that mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. If you don't get it, think about it for a second. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. How many of you are crazy thankful for that? Whereas grace would be God giving us what we do not deserve. We serve a good God. Because what is it that each of us deserved? Death, judgment, hell, right? The Father said no. He said, I'm gonna make a way. So, what does he do? As an act of mercy, he sends Jesus. And he does not end up giving Christ's followers what we deserved. Jesus got it, right? It's the great exchange. What does he end up giving us? He gives us everything. Everything that belonged to Jesus in this exchange, everything belonged to Jesus became ours. His name. Being his very own. The kingdom of heaven with all its promises and blessings. And guys, the kingdom of heaven is not a place you visit. You're, if you're a Christ follower, you're never an outsider. You're family. It's your inheritance. I you can go so far as to say you're an owner. You see this? You... Don't experience as a Christ follower, you're not supposed to experience the kingdom of God once you get to heaven. You experience the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven now, right here in the earth, with all of its promises, long before your body dies. This is what God gave us by grace. He gave us what we did not deserve, right? So what we see here, though, is that Jesus commands us now, just as God was merciful toward us, God commands us, Jesus commands us to be merciful toward others, right? And I want you to think about this. Mercy is really just grace in action. Mercy is not treating others the way they deserve, but instead treating others the way God treated us. So what's Jesus saying here? I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, this is why... There's been times for us as a family when we've been to a restaurant and we've received less than ideal service. Who's been there and experienced that? That waiter or waitress did not care about being there that day. They didn't care that you said no tomato. You seen the commercial? I said no tomato. They wiped the bun off on the, on the counter and get it back to them. I said no mayonnaise. How many of you have received less than ideal service before? That's why for us sometimes when that happens, we give them more. That's where many times, and and guys, I've been there before, where I've said at least to myself, well, you ain't getting no tip. Right? No. No, we give them more. And we're all the more intentional to speak to them and to encourage them and to love them. Do they deserve it? I don't deserve that tip. No. But the Lord reached me through his mercy. And he wants to use me to reach others. So I want to be an extension of God's mercy and his grace in somebody else's life. Mercy is treating others the way the Lord treats you. So when you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, as you begin to take in God's word, you begin to find out, you begin to realize, you begin to get deeper understanding that God has treated you with just an overwhelming grace. And he gives out of a loving heart. Guys, you got born again by grace. You got filled with the Holy Spirit by grace. Grace. You are healed by grace. No one ever worked hard enough for it. No one ever earned it. No one ever deserved healing or salvation. It was given to us freely by grace, and we received it by faith. Right? So it's really about understanding our Father's heart. Because when we do, when we begin to understand Father's heart, this idea of blessing somebody who wronged us instead of responding the way the world does, it begins to make a lot more sense. When we begin to view things the way, and view people the way our Father views them. It's the way of our kingdom. It's our response to our Father's mercy and grace. And so when we begin to understand our Father's heart, we can go out and we can treat others the way that God treats us, regardless of what they do. Even if they don't love us, we can love them. If they don't like you, you can still give to them. Instead of retaliating in anger, you retaliate with more and more love, right? And, that's, and, and, and what's the promise attached to this? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. Guys, if you start pouring out mercy and grace, what are you going to get? Mercy and grace. And that's really what this verse is. It's establishing sowing and reaping. You get back what you sow. How many of you are so thankful for somebody in your life that didn't treat you the way you really deserved? How Have you ever been at a point where you look back and went, well, wow, I really responded poorly. That person certainly treated me better than I deserved to be treated in that moment. That's mercy, guys. And we should be that person in other folks' lives. We get back what we sow. And another thing I thought of in this before I go on to the next one, how many of you recognize that whatever you sow, you reap more? You, you plant a seed, you get back lots more seeds, Right? That can be good or bad depending on what it is you're sowing, right? We've all sown good things. We've all sown bad things. You want to be loved? Sow love, guys. You want a little bit of R-E-S-P-E-C-T? What do you need to sow? You want people to treat you with mercy and grace when you don't deserve it? Treat others with mercy and grace even when they don't deserve it. You will reap more than you sow. Y'all know this, Luke 6, 38, given will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. And let me say this, you want to be a good witness of Jesus? What a great start this is. What a huge step in the right direction is treating others the way the Father treated you. You're going to get people's attention for sure. We allow his love in us and our thankfulness for what he's done in our lives to produce mercy that's extended toward every person we come in contact with. Let me read you one more scripture here that I saw this week. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Amen. His mercies, say it, never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh anew. Each and every morning. Guys, like our Father, this love, this mercy, this faithfulness should never cease in our life. And it should come forth new every morning. So Jesus tells them, He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then what does Jesus say next? Secondly, He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if you look at this, when it talks about pure in heart, it, really, it literally means free from any impure mixture. Make sense? I, I kind of, when I think of that, I picture where we've probably all been at some point in our life where we're living with one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world. Kind of an impure mixture. Understand? But on the basic, most basic level, how can a human being have a pure heart and see God? Well, Jesus tells us in in John 3, 7, he says that you must be born again, right? That's when things change. And we got to understand through that that going to church is great. Reading the Bible is awesome. Giving tithes and offerings, stupendous. But it doesn't save you, right? Those things don't make you pure in heart. They don't save you. Eternal life, comes only through surrendering our life to Jesus. With that in mind, you want to know if you've really been born again? You really want to know if you're a new creation? Then ask yourself, when did I stop going my own way and going God's way? Then you know. But remaining pure in heart refers to being like Jesus and having the heart of our Father. It's about being pure and hard, striving to live free from that life of sin. It's about freely offering love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And, and how many of you know when you start sowing, like we were talking about mercy, you start sowing mercy, not everybody's going to appreciate it, right? is that Right? You start sowing love, not everybody's gonna appreciate it. That waiter that gave you less than stupendous service that you gave an extra five to, they may not come running out to the parking lot in tears thanking you, right? That coworker who told you off and you responded in love, they might despise you all the more. They might. But we get to a point. We've we got to be careful in those moments that we don't get to a point where we allow the flesh to take over. Because it's easy to get to a place where all of a sudden our flesh starts rising up. I did respond in love, and they come back with this. To heck with this pure and heart thing. I'm going to, right? How many of you been there? We're angry. We're defending ourselves. We're insulting back. Holding on to anger and bitterness. Holding on to unforgiveness, getting even, that's when you need to stop and examine your heart again, right? And look, our flesh is going to get the best of us sometimes, right? We still live in the world. We're still working out the flesh. The soul is still getting saved, right? We're working this thing out. But what do we do? What do we do in that moment where we look back and go, wow, I did not respond with a pure heart in that situation? What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, I would present to you that the one that is pure in heart is teachable and quick to repent. Quick to make things right. Quick to seek forgiveness. And so, what blessing does this beatitude have attached to it? What promise? It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the word, the Greek word that's translated see can mean a number of things. Um, it can certainly mean to see with the natural eye. I mean, I, I can see this bass guitar right here, right? You do understand that's not what it's saying, right? We're most likely in this life, we're not going to put our physical eyes on God, Right? It means something else. So another meaning for this, when it says see, can actually be revelation knowledge. And so that's why when I'm up here and I'm speaking to you guys sometimes, I'll say something like, I'll say, guys, do you see what I'm saying? I'm not talking about something in the natural. I'm talking about, are, are you getting the revelation of what I'm saying right now? Are you getting understanding? Do you perceive what, I'm, what it is that I'm, you know, speaking? And actually, some would argue that the better translation of the word see there would actually be the word perceive. As a Christ follower, guys, we generally won't see or perceive God if we don't strive to be pure in heart. Psalm sixty-six eighteen. 18, look at this, guys. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Somebody say, ouch. What does that mean? If I regard iniquity in my heart. Another version says, if I cherish wickedness. Another version says, if I am unwilling to repent. Then the Lord will not hear. It stops up our prayers. Because here's the thing. Y'all know James 5.16 says, the effective fervent prayer of a what kind of man? A righteous man avails much. The Passion Translation, listen to this. It says, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Guys, when we're pure in heart, it opens up the doors to all the goodness of God, his promises, his provision. If you're not pure in heart, it could be one of the reasons that your prayers aren't being answered. If you're not living pure in heart, actually the Bible tells us that, if you, that, that that faith doesn't even really work on our behalf if we hold unforgiveness in our heart. The Bible says in Mark eleven twenty five 25, when you're praying, he says, forgive. We got to know, you know, it talks about that in communion as well. When we take communion, we take the Lord's Supper. We're told to examine our hearts, right? Examine our lives. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11:29. 29, it says, For continually eating and drinking, it's all about taking communion, with a wrong spirit, you could say an impure heart, will bring judgment upon yourself. Look at the next verse. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some are dying. Yikes. We need to have a pure heart to receive the full blessing of God in our lives. He's your Father. He wants to take care of you. But we hold on to these areas. We stuff them away, these areas of our hearts that we don't want him to touch. And it stops up things between us and the Father. So we should be regularly examining ourselves and our motives and striving to remain pure in heart. And when we remain pure in heart, God's promises will work in your lives, guys. They will. Our giving will work. Our prayers will work. Our communion will work. We'll walk in healing because we will see and perceive the true nature and the true character and the true heart of our God, of our Father. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Number three, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now it kind of makes sense if we're Christ followers. Jesus is called the prince of what? prince of peace. As his followers, we're called peacemakers. And he does call his followers to strive for peace in a world full of conflict and war. But don't get me wrong. I heard Robert Morris say one time, he said, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of righteousness. Do y'all get that? Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of righteousness. James 3.18 says, Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. We can't be peacemakers if we aren't at peace. Doesn't mean that there won't be a conflict. Doesn't mean there won't be a battle to fight. But we got to stay focused on the Lord. we got to stay focused on His Word because peace comes only through Him. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit that should be coming forth from us as a new creation, right? But in reality, I would argue with you that more of what it's speaking about right here, when it tells us, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's telling us to be peacemakers. Guys, it's talking about being a witness. Let me show you. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're taught about the full, putting on the full armor of God, right? And so in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to wear the helmet of salvation, right? The breastplate of righteousness, the sword, have the sword of the Spirit. But it says that our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Guys, I believe that peace is referring to being a witness of the good news, and our feet are what take us there. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 7. And I like this, actually using the Lexham English Bible. It says, how delightful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Somebody say, that's me. The one who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns as king. Guys, peacemaking is what we call... The doctrine of reconciliation. Remember the night that Jesus was born? What did the angels say? Peace on earth, right? Goodwill toward men. Guys, they, they weren't announcing that to people who had received Jesus as Lord. That had not happened yet. They're not announcing it to somebody. It's a new creation. They were announcing it to shepherds on the hillside. They were announcing it to the world. Finally, the promised Messiah had come. Mankind had a way back to the Father. We'd been reconciled back to Him. Look at this 2 Corinthians 5 18 and 19. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us, somebody say me, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, here's the explanation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, say me, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What does this reconciliation mean? It means that God has made peace with the world. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. This is the good news of the gospel. It's reconciliation. We're to be a peacemaker. That's why we can tell an unbeliever that God is not mad at you. God doesn't wish any harm upon you. God's not judging you. He loves you, and he's made peace with you through the cross. Receive him. Receive his love. But what's the promise attached to it? It says, for they shall be called sons of God. We're to be peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, being a witness doesn't necessarily make you a child of God, but it certainly declares that you are a child of God. Make sense? And we are called to be witnesses in the earth. So happy, blessed, joyful, jubilant are these merciful grace-filled, pure-hearted witnesses of the good news for they shall be recognized as children of God. So blessed are the merciful, they shall see mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And number four, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Didn't hear any hooping and hollering over that one. Not one of those promises we hang on to and confess, is it? Thank you, Lord. No, never mind. What does persecution mean? I don't really know if we really have a true understanding of what it is in America today. I looked up the word persecution and several definitions. Persecution, to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, to grieve, or to afflict. Specifically, to cause to suffer because of unbelief. It means hostility, ill treatment, especially because of cultural origin or political or religious belief. It can also mean persistent annoyance and harassment. Now, all kind of things come to mind when we think about persecution. And Jesus is specifically addressing persecution of his followers for righteousness sake, right? Right? Are we being persecuted as Christians today? Your followers of Jesus are being persecuted today. I would argue, not really in America. Not compared to many other places in the world. We haven't experienced anything, guys. We have so much freedom. It's, uh, we are incredibly blessed, even today. Because, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I saw recently that in 2019, an average of 11 people were killed every day of 2019 simply because they had professed Jesus as Lord of their life. As Americans, I think we feel so far separated from that. That happens today? Where's that, where that going on? But it's the truth. You may remember a couple of years ago the gunman that, on motorcycles that, that uh, opened fire on a wedding uh, outside a church in Cairo. You may remember a couple of years ago the, the, the twin suicide bombing outside a church in Pakistan that killed 75 people. In North Korea, Christians are considered a hostile element of society and they're to be eradicated. Interestingly enough, the church there is exploding and there's estimated to be about 300,000 right now and it's growing exponentially. In Afghanistan, Christianity is not permitted. In Somalia, Christians are high-profile, high-value targets, and many times they are killed on the spot when it's discovered that they are Christian. You guys have probably seen it in the news. ISIS loves to put Christians in cages and burn them alive. You may remember a couple of years ago in Libya, they lined up 21 Christian men on a beach, beheaded each each of them, and live-streamed it on the Internet for the world to see. There's persecution going on in the world. That's some persecution. Your neighbor calling you a name, your coworker calling you a name because you're a Christian. Come on. We've got it good, guys. In America, we haven't begun to taste persecution. But the word persecute in this beatitude, it means to drive someone away in a hostile manner. A lot of Christians believe that things are going to get easy. A lot of people believe things are going to get easy if they just receive Jesus. Well, guys, 1 Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. It's a promise. Passion translation, it says, For all who choose to live passionately and faithfully as worshipers of Jesus, the anointed one, will also experience persecution. Now, guys, persecution usually comes through a person or people. But make my own mistake, when it comes to Christ followers, it's always a spiritual attack. It's always the enemy trying to keep us from our destiny, trying to keep us from our God-given purpose in life. But here Jesus says that when we're persecuted, he says we're to be happy about it. Happy about it. Have you ever read, um, was it? I'm trying to remember which of the apostles it was martyred. I'm thinking maybe it was, might have been, I don't remember which one it was. Maybe you all can tell me. The one that was being led to be be crucified. I don't don't know if it was Peter. But one of them stops, and I think Josephus writes about it. They they might make like this ode to the cross and, 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 and make this statement about how they are so thankful to be counted worthy to die for their Savior. Matthew five eleven, This is the next verse, by the way. Jesus, this is the only one that Jesus expounds on. Only one of the attitudes. He goes on to say about the same one. Blessed are you and others, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What's he say to do? <laughs> you're not saying it like you're rejoicing. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great. In heaven. Why can we be happy? Why can we rejoice even when we are reviled, even when we're persecuted for our faith? Because we're honoring God so much so that great is our reward in heaven. When we keep our focus on Him and not circumstances, we will see God. We will see his glory. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? Guys, Stephen's sitting there, and they have begun stoning him. Can you imagine stoning? We're going to hit you with rocks until you're dead. That sounds like a pretty lousy way to go. Yeah? Yeah? They have begun, I think in in, in verse uh, 55, they have begun stoning him. He's getting pummeled by rocks. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Can you imagine Peter, I'm, I'm sorry, Stephen, probably there on the ground looking up in awe of the glory of God as he's being pummeled with stones and rocks? and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. (laughs) If i got to go out for my faith, I pray I go out just like that. Looking up in awe of the glory of God. Man, that's powerful. Really, these beatitudes, this beatitude especially, is the beatitude of maturity. It's where we get to the place that we're saying that I believe Jesus was saying that our maturity is not marked by what happens to us. Our maturity is marked by our ability to continue to rejoice in the midst of whatever circumstances come our way. Rejoicing in persecution is not being moved by the circumstances around you. It's being moved by the word and the presence of God that has filled you and overflowing from you. That's it, guys. That's the Beatitudes. What do we discuss? Blessed are the, the, the last four. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You are blessed, you can be happy, you can be jubilant. You can when you freely give mercy to those around you, the way the Father granted you mercy. The more mercy you sow, the more mercy you reap. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We need to constantly be examining ourselves. We need to look at our lives, we need to look at our attitudes, we need to look at our motives. And we need to bring them into alignment with the heart of Father. And as we do, there won't be any interference between us and God. We will hear his voice and we'll walk in his promises. We'll see our prayers answered. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Peace does not mean there won't be conflict. It's the presence of righteousness within you. God's already made peace with the world. But we are his ambassadors announcing the good news. The news of reconciliation between man and God. And then lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, people and circumstances, situations are going to come against you, right? They're going to. Just simply because of who you are, simply because of who you belong to. We got to remember that it's not a physical attack, it's not something that we take personally, it's a spiritual attack. And this is why we walk in maturity from a place of overflow. This is why we've got to be filled up so that we can stand firm. We don't allow circumstances to sway us. When we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, we can know that the kingdom of heaven is ours and great is our reward. Amen? This is the first teaching that we see Jesus give his disciples. It's for us. Amen? Let's stand up. We'll continue on this, continue with the Sermon on the Mount, probably in two weeks, since uh, a week from today is is Easter. But guys, I want you just I want you just close your eyes for just a moment. The worship team is going to begin to play, and I just want us to press into the presence of the Lord for just a moment. As I pray that whether you're part of the family here or whether you're a guest, I hope that you have sensed. The presence of God in this place. He's here right now and He's here for you. He loves you so much. The good news is that God is not angry with you, He loves you desperately. So much so that He sent Jesus to the cross to take what you deserved so that everything that Jesus had could become yours. You could be a son. You could be a daughter of the Heavenly Father. Guys, I asked this today, the same question I asked a few minutes ago. You remember the point in your life when you quit going your own way. And you chose to go God's way. If you can't, then I want you to surrender your life to Jesus. I, please, I implore you, please give your life to Jesus today. The Bible says he's standing at the door of your heart and he is knocking. And you know that. He's been there from the very beginning. He's not going to open the door for you. You've got to do it. You've got to open the door and you've got to let him in. We recognize the great price that he paid. We recognize that he laid down his life for us. And so we receive him as our sacrifice, as the payment for the debt that we owed. And in turn, the least we can do is to turn from our sin lay it at at his feet and choose to live for him for the rest of our lives and when you do everything becomes new no the conflicts aren't going to stop there's still going to be conflicts in your life the father's going to be with you holy spirit's going to be with you and he's going to be encouraging you and he's going to be strengthening you and he's going to be giving you the right words in the right moments and you're truly going to experience life as you have never experienced it before. If that's you, and you're in this place, and you would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I recognize that I'm not going God's way. I, I really haven't been. I'm going my own way. That's really what it means, guys. Anybody in here that would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, lift your hand, wave at me, and let me know if there's anybody in here Anybody in here that would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today? Okay? You may be watching online. It doesn't matter when it is, when you're watching this. The Holy Spirit is right there, right now. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit and his job, one of his primary functions is to draw us to the Father. And that's what he's doing right now in your life. I encourage you to open your heart to him. We're gonna pray a quick prayer together. Remember, recognize it's not about the prayer, it's about the position of your heart. Are you ready? Are you willing to turn from your sin? Stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. I tried doing things my own way, but no more. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm gonna turn away from those things and I'm gonna to begin to live in a way that pleases you. If you're ready to do that, and if you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life from this day forward, you're going to live live for Him and His causes. And I want you to say this with us. Say a prayer like this. Just say, Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I've walked this life lost and alone. And I've been an utter failure. But today, Jesus, I call you Lord of my life. I recognize the price that you paid. I recognize the love you showed to me. And I accept you as my savior. I accept your sacrifice and I lay down my life and I choose to follow you. Forgive me for living my life my own way. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from them now and I come wholeheartedly after you. I will follow you all the days of my life. I will be known as a Christ follower. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you prayed that and you meant it, we're going to put up the link again for the connection card, and I'm going to ask you to go back to that again. If you already filled it out, go to it. There's a place on there to mark. I gave my life to Christ. Or I rededicate my life to Christ. We need to put somebody in touch with you to talk to you. You weren't meant to live walk this life alone. You need somebody to help you and give you some next steps and be there and help hold you accountable and point you in the right direction. Also, as we conclude the service in just a few minutes, there's gonna be prayer partners down front, and I want you to come down, I want you to tell them. If you're here and you surrender your life to Christ, you rededicate your life, come tell them. Let them know and say, say, pray for me. They'll point you in the right direction, amen? Guys, as I said, these beatitudes, This is really the first teaching that Jesus gives his disciples. How many disciples do we have in here today? So as we sing this song one more time, I want you to examine your heart. We've gone through these eight Beatitudes. What is the Lord speaking to you? What is that area for the Lord saying, I need you to deal with this in your heart? I want to use you, and this area is holding you back. <laughs> Maybe it's that meekness and that humility thing. Maybe it's that pure in heart thing. Maybe it's giving mercy. I just can't tip somebody who gave me bad service. <laughs> Whatever it is, guys, let's God speak into your heart. Allow Him to minister to you, be teachable. Receive what the Holy Spirit says to you. And let's make a change. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573. Or toll free at eight six 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 three eight three eight two seven seven or toll free at 866 down